Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Nostalgia Crew. This is our last episode of 2016 and we really don't have a format for this so today we're just gonna ramble on. Uh, Danielle is always here with me. Oh, hello. There you go. Um, and I wanna, I wanna apologize right now about me because as we're recording this I am having my dinner so if you guys hear a bunch of crunching noise, that's coming from my end. <laughs> yeah, so, so multitasking. Yeah. Yes, very multitasking. <laughs> uh, we are recording this a couple days before Christmas, so we want to wish everyone who listens to this a Merry Christmas, also a Happy Hanukkah, and a Happy Kwanzaa. And we also want to wish a Happy Boxing Day for those who celebrate that holiday. Um, I want to begin because there's been a little bit of developing news in the last hour before um, we started recording, and I am not sure if you are aware of this news, but it seems like death wants to stick its ugly nose one more time into somebody famous before this year is over. Yeah, I read. Um, Carrie Fisher suffered a massive heart attack earlier today on an airplane. This is reporting from TMZ. Our sources say Carrie was on a United flight. Okay, well, that's just bad enough right there. She's on United. Um, she was on a flight from London to LAX when she went into cardiac arrest. People on board were administering CPR. United Airlines says its crew reported Carrie as unresponsive when they landed. We're told the emergency occurred 15 minutes before the plane landed in L.A. A flight attendant asked if there were any medical personnel on board, and an EMT who was sitting in the back of the plane came up to first class and administered life-saving measures. The plane landed just after noon in L.A., and paramedics rushed her to a nearby hospital. Fisher, who became famous, of course, as Princess Leia from Star Wars, has been on a book tour. So, uh, yeah, not good news. Uh, hopefully, you know, she makes it out all right. Um, and... Um, also I wanted to add, speaking of, um, ominous, not ominous, I don't think ominous is the word, but, um, of deaths of this year, mm -hmm. um, our very own Brian Rochester has compiled a list of everybody that's died this year. Yes, the unofficial librarian of our yes. Facebook group. He, he told me, he found that we were recording day, and he's like, make sure you promo the Deathless, so promo the deathless. The deathless. Wow, that's good. Uh, <laughs> Basically, what he made it sound like, and I was like, so you just made a list of everybody that's. Well, dying. it's yeah. more of a more of a memoriam, basically. Uh huh. Um. So. And, and I mean, I've seen this list already. This list is huge. Yeah. And and he listed them in alphabetical order. 
So he started with the A's and then went into the B's and the C's and the D's. I mean, he listed a lot of people who um, passed away this year. Uh, um, I'm still recovering from Alan Thick myself. I, I can't, like, that was just a lot. That was a bit of a surprise, yeah. That was really, like... And they recently came out with the uh, autopsy. It was a crushed artery. Was yeah a ruptured artery. Pardon me, is the right word to say. Right. So it's kind of yeah. And um, he was just on Fuller House, which I just watched the other day, and um, he's hilarious on there, but. If you watch the character he plays and know that he that that in real life he dies a few months later after filming it, it gets really really creepy because the character he plays is older than he actually is, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's really weird. And, and wasn't his last tweet about Fuller House? I think it was about either that or the or Trump or something. But he tweeted like four hours before it happened, so that's why everybody was like, well. No, this isn't true. He just, and also because TMZ was the ones who had it, and they're like, oh, you know. But TMZ is actually pretty spot on with they, stuff. They really <laughs> are. Whether or not people, you know, people can't stand them, and I think they're annoying at times, but with this kind of stuff, they're spot on with it, usually. That's the creepy part. Well, I, I have right here in front of me, <coughs> excuse me, Excuse me. Oh, I have in front of me um, the last tweet, which was December 13th, and he wrote, Season 2, Fuller House, looking good. I even like the ones I'm not in. Hashtag Fuller House, at Full House Guy, at Bob Saget, at Candace Bure, hashtag Netflix. And it is. I, I watched the whole thing on, um, what... I think, no, Tuesday. I was off Tuesday. Watched the whole thing. And yes, it is much, it is wonderful. It, if you haven't watched it, which I know you probably haven't. No, I haven't. <laughs> go watch it. I will try to during this uh, winter break. Yes. Um, season two is much better than season one. Season one is good, but there were a few little kinks. But season two ironed them all out. Right. Did an excellent job. There hasn't been any announcement of a season three, but we're all praying really hard <laughs> because they also had a bit of a cliffhanger too. So. Well, well, here's the thing. After the first week that season one came out, they're like, boom, we're doing season two. Yeah, that's what made everybody nervous. They're like, oh no, they didn't do that, you know. So, um, but we're. We are trying. We are hopeful. We hope because it is great. Girl Meets World for those who is hanging care. on. I hear by a thread. Yeah, um, the the admin of the unofficial Girl Meets World fan page on Facebook. Because see, unlike shows like Disney Channel, doesn't have official Facebook pages for their show. So this girl took it upon herself to create one, and she does does a very good job. But the problem is that her and a lot of the other fans, as well as the cast, 
don't seem to get that the show being on the Disney Channel is holding it back plot-wise. Mm -hmm. Extremely. And it's like, it, there, there's so much stuff. Fuller House, like watch Girl Meets World, then watch Fuller House. Fuller House is on Netflix, and you watch how much stuff they were able to do on that show because they're on Netflix that doesn't have restrictions and jokes. So basically, Fuller House is able to get away with more stuff than Girl right. Meets World would. And, and Fuller House is in an after-school special, which is hilarious because growing up, our version of Full House, Full House was like, you know, morals and, you mm -hmm. know, having the little lectures. And Boy Meets World was like the funny show. Yeah, they taught lessons, but it was like a really funny show that wasn't really cheesy. But now it's like both shows have gone in the, op the other way. Um, and so it's kind of a interesting um, and also a lot of the problems, another problem that plagues Girl Meets World is that they only get about, I think it's like two or three new episodes every few months. Yeah. And that's, and that's something that I've noticed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. Because, um, you know, when like Phineas and Ferb used to be on and other shows, like, their new episodes would not be that often. Uh, cable scheduling is really because <coughs> they, I, although with ABC Family, ABC Family, what they do is they do, or I'm saying ABC Family, now it's Freeform, but right. um, they have a winter session, I think it's like in a summer session or whatever. So like they'll have a show come on run through like maybe February through April and then it'll come back in like July, June or July, run through mm -hmm. August or September. Right. And they call it and and that's the whole season. Like they'll split it in half and do it that way. But you get new episodes that whole period back to back. They don't do breaks in between those periods. Disney Channel, it's just all over the place. And like and then they air some of them out of order, and, like, the one that's coming on next month is about Corey and Topanga's daughter's Sweet Sixteen party, and they just went to high school at the beginning of the season, so it's like, well, how is she 16 already? Yeah. So basically, because <laughs> so, I don't watch Disney Channel a lot. Right. The problem is there's no consistency with any of the programming. No, it isn't. And see... Fuller House, because they're on Netflix, you get the whole season at once. Right. And they, season one ended, and then season two, they started up and said, yes, we're all coming back from summer vacation. And acted, you know, and treated it like, oh, yes, well, nothing interesting happened since the last time you saw us, but we're, you know, so... You can tell it's all linear, not to mention season two is filled with holiday episodes, so you can tell what month is right. Like, like, they squeezed about <laughs> every possible thing you could think of. Well, they... Yeah. It was like August, Thanksgiving and... Yeah, Thanksgiving, which is probably one of the largest Thanksgiving dinners I've ever seen on a TV show. Oh, well, I can't wait to see that. I'm just going to say that. They got pretty much... Uh, that's just the family, but, like, 
it's insane. I couldn't think at the end of the episode, they do a shot of them going around the table and pass around the food and see how many people there are. It's crazy. Hmm. Um, and they did a Halloween episode. They did a Christmas episode. The season finale is a New Year's Eve episode. Oh, like, well, there you go. That's where the throat, the, the cliffhanger is. Yeah, that's where the cliffhanger is. That makes and, sense. And the... And then the first episode is of the season is their back-to-school barbecue. They're ending summer vacation and having a back-to-school barbecue. And not only that, but DJ's son hit puberty between the time they, <laughs> they filmed hmm. the last one, so he's got a deeper voice, so it's kind of, so you can tell time passed a lot. <laughs> and, um... So, yeah, it, it's so very... They did a good job, and... And another thing I love about it is, I'm not going to give too much away, but um, Girl Meets World, when the kids date and like each other or whatnot, they have to do this whole explanation as to, oh, this, why is this happening? Why do I feel this way? We should discuss this. We should. Fuller House is just like, our daughter likes a boy. She has a date. With, right. You know, which makes sense, because on the original Full House, they were, like, dating at 13. Nobody said anything. <laughs> Boy Meets World, they were going to make-out parties 13. Nobody said anything. Yeah. You know, so don't act like this is suddenly new that, oh, my God, 13-year-olds are dating. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. Call the parents. This is an outrage. Like, I, you know, that drives me crazy, because it's not even... It's the end of civilization as we know it. Like, yeah, you should read some of these comments, like, on the Facebook page. And I'm like, Boy Meets World wasn't a clean show to begin with. They got had some pretty... Uh, the one I remember the most is um, they did a horror movie spoof. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and the joke was, in horror movies, virgins can't die. So, so Corey's like, hugs to Peg and says, thank you for saving my life. <laughs> and, um, and Sean goes, well, I'm, I'm going to get as sick as you possibly can without dying. And um, and then they're like, they realize Mr. Phoebe's death. And we're all like, go Phoebe, go Phoebe. Wow. <laughs> you couldn't do that on Disney Channel. No, no, you couldn't. <laughs> couldn't, you know. So, it, it, but, um, and also, another thing, I'm just randomly saying stuff right now. <laughs> um, uh, there's a movie that's coming out next year. Okay. Um, it's, it's what TV Tropes refers to as an unintentional period piece. Okay. Which means it's something that now is cool or trendy, but like your kids will look back on this 20 years later and be like, oh my God, this is so dated. And because it's capitalizing on something that no, that'll probably no longer be popular in twenty years, is the Emoji Movie. Oh my God! Yes, I saw the trailer for that. I was just like, you have got to be kidding me. That I mean, it was it it that would be like destroying the future of nostalgia. It's just like, but um. Hey, I'm a sad emoji. We're going to do a movie. You could bring another family with you if you want. My God, that just looked bad. In case you're interested, um, 
it comes out next summer. And I'm not about, interested. <laughs> I know. For those who are interested, it comes out next summer, and it is about a multi-expressional emoji who sets out on a journey <laughs> to become a normal emoji. Wow. Because that makes sense. And you know what the sad thing is? <laughs> what? The sad thing is that movie's going to make hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, yep. And then in other nostalgia, um, in 2018, they're doing a Peter Rabbit animated live-action movie with James Corden in talks of doing The Voice. Oh, I haven't heard about this. Yeah, I just read it up when I pulled this up, and next year there's another Smurfs movie. Yeah. Heaven help us all. Okay, now I'm curious, because Jonathan Winters was Papa Smurf in the the first two. Right. Who are they going to have to voice Papa Smurf for this one? Mandy Patinkin. Good choice. Good choice. But this one isn't connected to the other ones. It's just a straightforward animated one. Oh, okay. Maybe that's a bit of help there. Yeah. Maybe. So. Hello. My name is Papa Smurf. You smurfed my father. Prepare to smurf. Demi Lovato is Smurfette. Rain Wilson is Gargamel. Ooh, actually. Well, here's the thing, though. Because I didn't see any of the Smurf movies. Yeah, I didn't. But either. I thought Hank Azaria did a good job, or would have done a good job as Gargamel. Rain Wilson yeah. sounds like he would do a good job too. He he is kind of creepy on the office sometimes. So yeah. yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, and some of these Smurfs, I think, were created. I I don't know the actual Smurf characters' names, um, but uh, Jokey. Oh, yeah, Jokey, Jokey Smurf. Oh, Jokey Smurf is a Smurf. Okay. And then there's oh, Grump- wow. There's Grumpy Smurf. Okay. I'm, I'm reading them now. I didn't realize all these Smurfs had names. Just, so. just as long as George Lopez is nowhere near this movie. Oh, for Jokey Smurf? Yeah, for any Smurf. Nope. Jokey Smurf will be played by Gabriel Iglesias. Okay. Fluffy. Oh, oh, him. Yeah, okay, okay. You're yeah, right. Fluffy. Okay. It took me a minute. You know, yeah, who, yeah. You know who I was thinking of? Yeah. I was thinking of Enrique Iglesias. Yeah. I thought, <laughs> yeah, I thought he was really... Oh, my you. God. Oh, I'm so bad. No, it's... Yeah, I used to think they were all related, but they're not. It's racist. That is racist. <laughs> well, the last name, but uh, I'm just yeah. kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, my um driver's ed teacher was a huge fan, I and mean, it's always played Gabriel Glacius stand up things during our breaks in class. So. Oh, boy. All right. Um, I want to sort of. I I I want to sort. I want to uh-huh. go back a little bit. Uh huh. To our last episode that we did. Which had the list of the 100 greatest TV shows of all time, according to Rolling Stone. Uh-huh. What I didn't do was tell you that within the list, 
they made a shorter list of the worst shows of all time. Uh. And there's only five of them. Uh, there's one that I'm looking at that I'm thinking this is going to be the one Danielle is going to say something about. So, I don't know. So, here is their list, in short, of the worst TV shows of all time. Okay. And this is not an order. It's just five that they put out. The first one that they have is Duck Dynasty. Oh, I've never actually seen that show. I, I, I'm definitely familiar with it. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I've never seen it, but I am familiar with it. Uh, the next one, Northern Exposure. I, I remember that show. Uh, vaguely, but I wouldn't say it was horrible. Well, it, it lasted till 90... It went from 1990 to 1995, so they must have done something right. Uh, I, I didn't think it was weird or anything. I mean... It, it had a, a catchy theme song, I remember. It was, oh, it was yeah, a I weird, like, Alaskan theme, and there was a moose in the beginning. Right, yeah. But, I mean, I thought it was a pretty popular show at the time. I... <laughs> Uh, okay. Next one, Ghost Whisperer. Ran pretty long. Yeah, that's another one where I would make the argument that why is it on that list? I mean, it, it shouldn't be on the top 100 of all time, but... I mean, when I think of worst TV show list, I think of ones that didn't last very long that had the stupidest plots ever. Right. Not like Ghost Whisperer, which was very popular. Yeah, it was popular. And yeah. Jennifer Love Hewitt made the show work. Uh-huh. Well, anything Jennifer Love Hewitt touches, it yeah. makes, she makes it work. Uh-huh. Um, all right, next one. For the Love of Ray J. Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> now we're getting in here. I, I even forgot that even existed. Sure. <laughs> all right. So, to educate you people who I'm sure very distinguished people do not know who Ray J is. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to sit back and let you do this one. Okay. Ray J is Brandy, the R&B singer Brandy's younger brother. Um, he tried to get as famous as his sister, but more people know him because he dated Kim Kardashian and they made a sex tape. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> He is, let's just put it this way, folks. He is known more for banging a chick than he is his music. Right. And that's pretty much the legit of it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there you go. There's your education. Yeah. And the last one, and this is the one that made me think of you, so I don't know how okay. you're going to react. Maybe maybe uh -huh. my reaction will be wrong. Maybe it won't. Okay. Joni loves Chachi. I knew they were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. 
Ah. Uh, no, no. <laughs> All right. I used to have a very unhealthy obsession with Happy Days when I was in middle school. Very, very unhealthy, and they were my favorite characters. So when I heard they had their own show, I was like, I have to watch it. It's so good. And then I couldn't, because this was in the late 90s before you could easily find something, well, before YouTube. So I was like freaking out. I really wanted to watch the show. And um, mm-hmm. and I found a theme song online years later and started listening to it. And um, <laughs> so I don't know. But um, it kind of, I think part of what made it a downfall was that the the actors who played them in real life were dating, and then they broke up during that, so it kind of made it awkward. Mm -hmm. And um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I liked them. I did, the singing was a bit much, though. <laughs> but that's what the show was about, that they were singers. But, it, I mean, it wasn't horrible. Right. <laughs> okay. I mean, my mother the car was much worse, I thought. <laughs> well, I'm, well I'm, I'm sure you know of what that show is called in Korea. Yes. Joni loves penis. Yes, I know. But I mean, My Mother the Car, a show about a guy whose mother dies and inhabits the spirit of a car. I don't know. That was pretty bad. My father watched Mr. Ed. I thought that was pretty bad, even though that ran for five years. Ted, I think, would disagree with you. Sorry, Ted. Because, you know, he plays that damn song every year when we do the Triple Crown for horse racing. I mean, I've tried watching it. There was... Actually, it was earlier this year where I had to take a, a gun and shoot Mr. Ed. There's a, um, and then there's this other show which they just started rerunning on the Decades channel that my father loved, um, oh. called Laughing. And it's, it, it, I guess you could call it an early precursor to Saturday Night Live, but mm-hmm. it's really weird. Okay, like, and it's funny you mentioned that. Yeah. Today is the first time I'd ever heard of this channel. Like, I was on Facebook, and I oh, saw, yeah. you know, Decades, and I'm like, huh, okay. Well, I guess this is the trade-off for you not having Buzzer in Baltimore, because we yeah. don't get Decades here in D.C. Yeah, we get Decades. Um, we get, um, what's the other one? We get um, Me TV. And uh, Antenna TV. Mm-hmm. So we get those. Um, but yeah, Decades, Decades is actually an interesting channel. Like, they have these shows about this is what happened this day in history, and they rerun a lot of old shows that you don't see on other channels, but they rerun the show laughing. And my dad, and, and it was like popular during the late 60s, and I'm like, did you have to be like stoned to understand <laughs> this? Because I, I'm like really, it, it just moves so fast, it's like, of it is hilarious and I don't even get how that ran for like mm-hmm. 20 years 
but it did. <laughs> so I, I, I've seen some, and he also likes um, Gilligan's Island, which I think is a weird show. Yeah. But, I mean, I. Well, it's, well, I mean, laughing is famous really for two things. Number one, Goldie Hawn was on that show. Yes, and with a very squeaky voice. <laughs> And the other one is Richard Nixon made an appearance yeah. on that show. Yeah, that that's pretty huge. Yeah, so I mean, laughing, I'm sure it was a good show. And um, and it's interesting. I, I like watching old shows because, you know, it's kind of like almost watching a time capsule. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, that, that was a weird show. <laughs> also, you probably couldn't get away with making a sketch about the Vietnam War now, but Fifty years later, I don't know. Well, a sketch about war in general, people probably. Uh, I don't know. I. Yeah. Well, let me rephrase this. A war. The war was going on at the time, and they made a sketch about it. Right. You probably could not do that. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to see every once in a while when they push the buttons. You know. Which is difficult to do in this day and age. Oh, I know. You know, cause, oh, oh you know, you get so offended. Oh, ho, 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 ho. You know. Send your letters, care of nostalgia crew. No. <laughs> um, exactly. If yeah. if you would like to complain about anything we have said in the last year and a half of this show, send it to Kiss My Ass P.O. Box. <laughs> Dear God. Merry Christmas. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Um, oh, okay, you go on. Okay, I wanted to touch on something that you posted recently. I did. On Facebook. I did. Which I read, and I promised Ted uh, during the recording of that wrestling show yesterday, which was our season finale, which you could check out, yeah. to talk about uh, Steve from Blue's Clues. Right, yes. Because, for those who don't know the story, for years, the rumor had always been that he had left the show to pursue a musical career. And I find, and I found the story. I <laughs> found the story. It took, it took me a couple of minutes, but I found the story. So, um, the Huffington Post wrote an article where they interviewed Steve from Blue's Clues to confirm once and for all yep. the reason why he left the show. And I thought when I read the show, I, I sort of thought to myself, huh, okay, could this actually happen today? So, I'm going to read the quote, uh-huh. and we're going to talk about this. So, Ted, this is the reason why you're listening to this episode right now, is this moment. Oh, God. If he hasn't turned away because his wife said about Mr. Ed. <laughs> he, he, I think he's still sad that I admitted to killing Mr. Ed. But oh. anyway, <laughs> Steve Burns is the name, and he said, and I quote, I was getting older. I was losing my hair. A lot of the original gangsters on the show, like the people who created it, 
were all moving on to other careers. Yeah. So basically, it is because he was losing his hair mm. that he left Blue's Clues. Uh, and I, I, I agree. Because I've seen a lot of shows where the actors are staying on and they clearly have aged out of the character. <laughs> like, um, so I applaud him for realizing that, hey, you know. <laughs> I mean, if he had left because he knew look-wise, not, not hair-wise, but yeah. look-wise, he was getting old, I would have been absolutely fine with that. But to say that, hey, I'm losing my hair, it's time for me to go, ah. Uh, that could be just look-wise, though, because, I mm. mean, really. Um, so, yeah. I, I mean... I but yeah, I believe the music thing for a long time too. I, I think a lot of people did. But I read that article and I was really pleased to see how open he was with discussing everything. Like, and he said, I have original thinking chair in my den. Um, you know, he doesn't mind talking about it at all. It's, right. Which, which I love. I love it when people who started off doing something or don't mind, aren't ashamed to discuss it, mm -hmm. or don't have a problem with, like, um, with, uh, going back to a somber subject, Alan Sick, they had his funeral, Leonardo DiCaprio, who started on Growing Pains, came to his funeral and spoke. Wow. Like, and, and you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, finally an Oscar winner, big Hollywood star, probably doesn't, you know, you would think he'd want to talk about the fact that he started off on a... 80 sitcom, mm -hmm. but he, but he did, and he came and played tribute to it, yeah. which I applaud him for, because, you know, well, you can't just be all like, oh, I don't want to talk about that, I did much better since, right. you know. So, I'm glad that, you know, he wrote that, you know, that Steve from Blue's Clues did, and he still talks to the Donovan who replaced him. Right. So, that's and, and Steve did end up getting into music. Right. Which should be mentioned is he did end up getting into the music business. It's just that wasn't the reason why he left. Yep. So that's one of life's great mysteries that we can now put away forever. Mm. Never have to worry ever again. That... You know, Steve from Blue's Clues will have to pursue a musical career, which we now know he did not. Yep. Um, okay. I know that you watched a little while ago, and when I mean a little while ago, I mean weeks ago, uh -huh. Hairspray Live. Oh, God. Which I knew, because... You know, we had the discussion earlier in the year about Grease Live and how I just gave up on it like a half hour in. Yes. I saw some of your comments on Facebook. I didn't read all of them. But yeah. I am curious to know how everything went as a fellow Baltimorean. For Hairspray Live. For Hairspray Live. Okay. First of all, 
I'm just going to go into this. I, I couldn't go in completely open-minded because I'm not a fan of a musical version of Hairspray to okay. begin with. Because they took the plot of the original 1988 movie and basically turned it into... Um, they they um, made it lighter. They made, you know... They made... The, there's no real villain in it now. It, it, it's not really what it was. So, going into this, I kind of was like, oh, but I will watch it. Mm-hmm. Their problem is, first of all, they did the same thing that Grease did. All right. They did, because NBC, all of NBC's musicals in the past have been just close set, no audience. Right. But Hairspray decided to go the way of Greece and get the actors who were, you know, get the audience to play extras. Hmm. But the thing is that they didn't really need them that badly. Like, they're supposed to be the audience in the dance show. But, you know, they're, like, screaming, so that kind of ruins the scene, which is what what ruined Grease, I thought, a lot, was everybody screaming and yelling and applauding Mm -hmm. after each thing. Um, And then, um, actually, hold on a sec. I'm going to see if I can pull up this article. Okay. Because there is an article in the New York Times that basically outlines the problems with these live music adaptations. Um, But... And they basically summed it up in the way that, um, also, this was the lowest rated musical that NBC had. (laughs) So, yeah. So, to, (laughs) um, so to sum that up, (laughs) uh, and, where is that article? It's driving me crazy. Um, but yeah, they, uh, then they had the cut to the social media, um, social media stuff, which I thought was a bit much. And then Baltimore had, um, had the, um, had a viewing party. Yeah, they had a viewing party and then they had a, you know, a uh, a um, what you would call it uh, behind the scenes and all that stuff and here's such and such street. Let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah, it, it was okay. Here we go. I'm going to skip over some of these because one of it covers the Rocky Horror Picture Show musical, which people, which I didn't know was filmed, wasn't filmed live. Oh, it wasn't? No. Hmm. All right. Here we go. So these are some of the reasons, lessons that we've learned from musicals, Um, you know, issues. Pop stars aren't Broadway stars. That is true. So, um... They mainly cite um, Carrie Underwood's performance in The Sound of Music as an example of this. I 
didn't see it, but I heard it was not good. Um, forced buzz is buzz killing. Okay, this is one of my main complaints. Several of these productions, especially Grease and Hairspray, have gone to downright desperate lengths to try and make an impact on social media and with young demographics, or at least young demographics that consenting TV executives apparently define as too stupid to appreciate art for art's sake. Hairspray kept pausing to introduce us to its social media star squad mm -hmm, and to check in on phony-looking viewing parties in various cities. Yep. It's as if the producers don't trust the musical itself to be interesting. Mm -hmm. The thing is, all of these works, even the pop ones like Grease and Hairspray, have storylines. Some of those stories, like the one in Hairspray, are pretty powerful if they're left alone. But they're in, if they're interrupted so we can hear from supposed fans dressed in period clothes at a viewing party in Philadelphia, they have no chance. Hmm. Sure. Um, Greece had a live audience during viewing parts, viewing parts of the show. So did Hairspray. But both of these productions sent their cast galloping from set to set, so the audience wasn't always there. And when it was present, it was sometimes more cheerleader than audience whooping it up in a way to call attention to itself. Who wants to turn it, tune into a TV show to watch people watching other people perform? And then, um, yeah, so, but yeah, that's what, um, I, I just thought that they could have, um, it could have been a lot better. It could have been much better. There, there were some parts that I liked. Um, there were the set had like um, waters had storefronts that paid homage. They said Waters Plumbing, which was in honor of John Waters, and Divine Pet Food, which is in honor of Divine. He played the original Ed and Sternblad in the movie. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I, you know, I get it. And Kristen Chenoweth did a excellent job, I thought. Oh, God, yeah. She, she, she always does a good job. Great. I didn't see the 2007 movie, so I don't know how Michelle Pfeiffer did, although somebody told me Michelle Pfeiffer was a much better villain. But um, I, So I don't know. But it just, it, it's hard to watch because they changed so much of the plot. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the 1988 version got it straighter across this is what really happened, or oh, this is what Baltimore really was like in the 60s. If right. you want to know what really, how it really was, watch the 1988 version. It, 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 there, it is a musical. They, they dance to regular songs from the 60s, though. But, um, and you get a sense of not everybody at the end of the movie is like sings and dances and holds hands at the end, which is, which is what, the, which is the point. It wasn't like everybody was suddenly like, oh, yes, let's all integrate. Let's all, hold. that's not how it went. Mm -hmm. There were still, people were still, in fact, the, the dance show that the movie's based off of didn't even integrate in real life. They just did that for the movie. Yeah. So, I, I you know, so yeah, watch the original 1988 movie where Velma, where the Von Tussle family are actual villains. It's Sonny Bono and Debbie Harry. Right. 
because she has a father in the, they get rid of her father in the other versions, but in the original version, Sonny Bono plays her father, and he is just like, and he is also running for um, mayor of Palm Springs, California at the time he made the movie, so, and he's playing like this really racist guy, and it's kind of ironic almost. And then he ends up in the Senate, I think. Yeah, but, so. but in this movie, he plays the guy that runs an amusement park that is being forced to integrate, and he's really upset yeah. that he has to do this. So. All right. It's really weird. Yeah, but um, no, I I just thought, and also, a lot of the acting is just so over the top, but then I have to remember, it's theater acting as opposed to movie acting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, I, I have kind of mixed feelings, although I heard, although one of my co-workers said Derek Huff was terrible, she thought, well, <laughs> she's like, he can dance, but he can't act, hmm. so, oh well, yeah. but, uh, and also, um, they announced their next musical next year will be Bye Bye Birdie with Jennifer Lopez, so, yeah. Bye Bye, Bye Bye Birdie, huh? I'm assuming she's playing Rosie. Boy, they're they're um, really was, reaching into the grab bag here, I think. Because Rosie in the original stage play, either she's Latino, I, I want to, in the mo- movie with Dick Van Dyke, she's recast with a white woman, but the original stage play, I think she's Latino or something. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, she's Rosie Alvarez. So she's going to be starring in it. All right. Well, while you watch that, um, okay, while you watched that, I watched on Nickelodeon Legends of the Hidden Temple, the movie. Oh, God, which, how was that? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you about it. Um, I watched this. Because this came on, like, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, which we talked about, how it was just bad timing, you know? Yeah. So I, rec- I set it to record on the DVR, so I'd, you know, get a chance to watch it. The beginning of the movie is a bit rough. I will say that. Um, it's a family. Uh, I, I think it's a Hispanic... It's pretty much a Hispanic family. And they go to this amusement park sort of called the hidden temple it, and one of the one of the kids his name is noah is a big fan and he's always wanted to go um so he has an older sister who is you know like oh do we have to go do we have to do this the typical you know sort of made for tv movie and they have a younger brother so kirk fogg who was the host of the show is in the movie and he works at the the park. And so he's like, like for the whole presentation, he's like the host of the, the tour and all of that. It's a rough beginning. It was a rough beginning. I almost thought of quitting the movie, not even going further. Boy, am I glad I did not do that. Because once we get past the three kids going into the temple by accident because it's you know restricted no one can go into the temple once they go into the temple 
that's when the movie gets really good. Uh-huh. And they have uh, a green monkey. They actually painted the monkey green. And Olmec comes to life. So we get the whole like backstory. And I thought this was such a good story, a good backstory of, you know, wh- why this temple came to be. So, Olmec used to be the king of this civilization. And he had two sons. He had a younger son, Zuma, and he had an older son named Thak. I think I think I pronounced that right. If I didn't, I apologize. Uh-huh. So Zuma, who is the good brother or the good son, is chosen to be the heir to the throne. He is going to be the king of, you know, this entire civilization. But Thak has gone to the dark side, and he wants to take the kingdom. So. And, and, and Zuma is a bit of a weakling. I hate to say it, but that's pretty much how they portray him as. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's like, okay, you know, Thak has his group, and, you know, it's just going to be real bad. So Olmec, noticing that Zuma is pretty much beat, and the older son's going to take the kingdom, he uses a magic power and he turns everybody into stone. He turns the entire civilization into stone. So, Olmec tells the three kids that each son has half a pendant. Um, one, one of the sons is in the room of the ancient warriors and the other one is in the treasure room. And if you take the two halves, you combine them. Then he says, after you have combined the two pieces, you have three minutes, wink, wink, you have three minutes to get back to this spot to, you know, put the pendant in this little slot for where Olmec will live. And that's a good plot. I'm thinking, okay, this is getting interesting. Surprisingly, the acting is not that bad in this movie. Wow. It is not that bad. Um, and throughout the movie, if you are a fan of the show, like I was, you oh. get certain parts. Like, oh, here's an orange iguana. Here's a red jaguar. Here's a silver snake. Here's a blue barracuda. There's a purple parrot. So you got all the team, you know, animals in there. The funniest scene in the movie is when they get to the shrine of the silver monkey. For those who never saw the show, who never saw the game show, uh-huh. that was... Because you... Okay, here's the shrine of the silver monkey. It's three pieces. There's a base at the bottom. There's the stomach and the head. 
you put them together, and, you know, that's how you get it. There have been YouTube videos showing how the kids on the game show had such a hard time putting the monkey together. So, and I thought this was great writing. The kids, the three kids, are in the room. They're in the shrine of the silver monkey. And they are having a hard time putting this thing together. And then, then they show four hours later, they're still working on the monkey. <laughs> and it was like, if you get the joke, you laughed. I laughed hard about the joke. I thought it was really funny. So, you know, they, they it's just so funny. You have to see it. So, the parents then realize our kids are missing. And they get the police, and the police are trying to explain to them, you know, what's going on. And here's Kirk. He's like, oh, well, the temple has mysterious things and blah, blah, blah. And the head of the police is not buying it. He's thinking Kirk Fogg is just a complete maniac. And Kirk is just standing there thinking to himself, all right, go right ahead. Don't believe me. When you guys see this, you're going <laughs> to basically apologize to me. Um, so the first half is basically being in the temple, being told the story, getting the first half of the pendant. The second half of the story is going to find the other pendant, getting chased by Thak, and trying to escape the temple. And I liked the Thak character. I thought it was a good character. Um, they reach the treasure room, they get, you know, they find the other pendant, and then, and then at first he doesn't put it together, and Thak is going to put his sister in the moat. To basically drown and die. Uh -huh. And she's like, no, no, don't give it to him. And, you know, it's like this whole back and forth thing. And the, uh, Noah is like, okay, I'll give it to you. So he gives him the pendant. But what he doesn't realize until the kids are gone is it's a fake pendant. It was from the show that Kirk Fogg did earlier in the movie. So, you know, they're chasing, they're trying to get back, and they put the the pendant in the slot for Olmec, and everything comes back to life. Uh-huh. Except for Olmec. Oh. Because what happened is, when he turned everybody into stone, he sacrificed himself by... Staying as the big, you know, talking boulder that we have all come to know and love all these years. Right. So instead of him going back to human form, he stays the way he is in the whole movie. Which is interesting, and it's also a little sad, but he's like, at the same time, I have to let Zuma run my you know, run my kingdom. He is ready to run my kingdom. And at the end, the kids come out, and everybody's okay, and Kirk Fogg at the end, well, actually, the parents say to the daughter, okay, you get to pick. Where do we go next year? 
And she's like, you know what? I want to come back here next year. And they're like, really? And she's like, yeah. And then after that, you see Kirk Fogg with Zuma, and they're in the Shrine of the Silver Monkey Room. And it's set, it's perfect, and then Kirk accidentally knocks it over, and they try to fix it, and then you see Olmec, and he's just like, Ugh. and that's the end of the movie. Um, th th there are some jokes in there, some hidden, like, 90s game show jokes, like, the kids get offered trips to space camp as a way of saying, we're sorry for leaving you in there, which was <laughs> sort of funny. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, and it left room for a sequel. So if they did a sequel for this movie, I am all for it. I am for the sequel for Legends of the Hidden Temple. And it and the ratings, it, it looked like it did good to the possibility that there might be a sequel. It attracted a total of 1.6 million viewers with a 0.29 million viewer rating for people aged 18 to 49. So it didn't do too bad considering it aired for the first time on Thanksgiving weekend. So, I would go check it out if you are a fan of the show. And if you just want to get laughs, if you want to show your kids what that show was. Um, I, I would say watch it. I really would. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. I can't believe that I almost forgot bringing this up. Yeah. Um, because earlier in the week, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame announced their class for 2017. This might be one of the best classes ever. Yeah. It might be a very, very good class. So, for those who have not heard, which I would be surprised if you haven't at this point, the six artists that were chosen to go into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year are Joan Baez, Electric Light Orchestra, Journey, Pearl Jam, Tupac Shakur, and Yes. Also, Nile Rodgers from Chic will be getting an award for musical excellence. So the induction ceremony will take place on Friday, April the 7th at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Tickets will go on sale at some point in the month of January. They will tape this event and it will premiere again at some point in 2017 on HBO. Huh. Um, so are there any surprises for you? Not really. Um, I I know there's a lot of um, people upset because they feel like Tupac shouldn't be there because it's hip hop and not rock and roll. But I I think that hip hop is kind of an a bit of an offshoot of it. I guess you could say. Yeah. 
But I don't, I don't have a problem with him being there. Oh, God, no. I don't. I don't. I, I do have a friend who said he's more so upset that there's so many people who've been overlooked, but, I mean, you can only fit so many people in. So, I, you know, but I, I don't have a problem with him being in there. I'm also very happy for the Electric Light Orchestra. Oh, my who I gosh, think is yes. very, I, You know, I don't think people realize just um, what they've done. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I'm very happy for them. Um, and, yeah. So, I mean, because several R&B acts have been inducted in the past, and hip-hop is kind of an offshoot in a way. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if you can put them in there, they certainly Tupac can be in there. Right. And, and Nile, Nile Rogers definitely deserves that award, because um, I don't know if Sheik is in there or not. No, they, they were on the ballot again and did not get okay. in, so... But yes, Nile Rogers alone was an, is an excellent producer, music producer, and far more longer has done that far longer than he was with the band Sheik. So yes, I I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, I have no. First off, I have no problem with Tupac being in because yeah. Run DMC is already in, NWA is in, I think Public Enemy is already in. Uh, LL Cool J's been nominated a couple times before. So honestly, I have no problem with Tupac being in. So I'm fine with that. Pearl Jam, I pretty much figured they were going to be in. It was their first year on the ballot. I figured they'd be in. Joan Baez is a nice little surprise. Because I thought, okay, they're only going to get five. But they end up getting six in there. And that was a really nice treat. Um, of course, for a lot of people, you know, it, it depends on who you are. You know, if you're a fan of hard rock like I am, you know her for her, you know, like her biggest song is Diamonds and Rust, which Judas Priest um, did or covered that song first as a metal song, and then they later did it as an acoustic version, which... I prefer the acoustic version better than the the metal one. So that's a real nice surprise. Journey getting in, I'll tell you how Journey got in. It's the popularity that they've had over the last several years. You know, like their songs have been used so much over the last however many years it's been. You know, like... Don't Stop Believing is, you know, like, the big one. Um, but they've had so many good hits, and, you know, it, it, it's just time for them to get in. And and the same goes for Yes. They deserve to be in. It's been way overdue for them to not have been in. Because they had some big songs, and then in the 80s, they had the big hit, Owner of a Lonely Heart, which, if you've ever seen the video, is a very weird video. Uh-huh. But, it, you know, it's a good song. So, you know, it's like, this year, it, it feels like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame got it right as far as these acts have been long overdue. They deserve to be in. And the fans 
gave the support and it showed because four of those six were um, in the top five in the fan voting. So it's well deserved and I actually have, uh, and, and I saved the email a little while ago, um, because of, hey, you know, now that we got this, there are six artists that will go next year uh -huh. because this is the, you know, they've reached the 25 year of the debut album. So here are the six that are going to make an attempt in their first try. Rage Against the Machine, Radiohead, Stone Temple Pilots, Tool, Sublime, and No Doubt. I would say of those six, No Doubt's got the best shot. Wow, that would be interesting. Because I, I think they are, if, if you look at who has been the most popular, easily it would be No Doubt. I think as far as longevity goes, a band like Tool would be in a very good position. You know, so right. it, it's going to be very interesting to see how, um, you know, everything goes and, uh -huh. you know, what will happen next year. And this will be the first year, no doubt, qualifies for this? Yes. Okay. That would be interesting. I'm trying to think of anybody that got in the, the first year they were qualified. Oh, God. They're, well, Pearl Jam this year, so that's one. Um, yeah, I'd like to go... Well, I mean, obviously, the first class, but that's sort of a, you know, like a, yeah, a, a duh like, kind of thing, so... Yeah. Um, but yeah, so congratulations to all the artists who got in this year, and, um, to those who didn't get in, well, just keep trying, you never know, it'll come someday. Yep. Alright, so now this is the point where we give our movie and album selection of the month. For this month, and Danielle, you get to start it off. With the movie? Yeah, with the movie. Okay. Well, we are going to go way, way, way back. All right. Back this movie's in black and white. I don't think I've ever picked one that's in black and white before. Uh, I can um, I can check while you talk about it. Yeah, I'm actually going to go check the group to make sure I... I Oh, no. I don't think I picked this one last year. Yeah, because we only... Um, I might have. Hold on. I I always check the group to make sure if I pick the, um, huh. you know, movie. And I have to update that list, by the way, too, so. Okay, well. But I'm not going to do it till we're done recording okay. and all that. Alright. Uh, sure. Um, no. According to what I've read so far, I have not picked this movie. But anyways, this movie is from 1940, long, long time ago, uh, and it is a Christmas movie starring Jimmy Stewart, but not the one you're thinking of. Um, <laughs> it is called The Shop Around the Corner. Oh, okay, I have heard of that one. Yes, which, 
like I said, It's a Wonderful Life is very overrated. Not overrated, I shouldn't say that, but well-known, you know, movie. Um, but I don't think very many people know the uh, Jimmy Stewart um, shop around the corner. And the funny thing is, is that years later, it was made into You've Got Mail, remain the You've Got Mail. Okay, so don't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, this is your first, according to the list, this is your first yeah. black and white movie. Okay, good. All right, so yeah, this was, it was remade into You've Got Mail years later. Um, but I like this. Uh, actually, it was also based on a play. There was a play, a Hungarian play, and then it was made in this movie, and it was made in You've Got Mail. But, but anyways, um, so it's the same plot as You've Got Mail. In fact, that's why in the movie You've Got Mail, she has a store called The Shop Around the Corner. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about, it takes place in Budapest in um and although you could, you'd hardly be able to tell because Jimmy Stewart still sounds like Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> but, um, and it's about a store, a leather goods store. And there are these co-workers, man, this woman, they work in the store. They don't get along, but what they don't realize is that they've been pen pals who are romantically involved this whole time. Right. Which is. Essentially, like I said, the plot of You've Got Mail, so if You've Got Mail added in the internet and expanded it more to include the rival bookstores, but in this version, they just work at the same shop. Um, and it's an interesting little movie. It's basically, um, I, I like it for the simplicity of it, to be honest, because You've Got Mail is a good movie, but it really gets good the last third of it was just Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan and not all these other people in extra subplots. Mm-hmm. So, um, also, unlike you've got, also, Shop Around the Corner is a straightforward Christmas movie. You've right. Got Mail isn't. Most people don't realize that because for some reason they seem to only air You've Got Mail around Christmas on TV. I don't know why, because it's not. It's a, um... It's a movie that takes place over the course of a six-month period, and Christmas happens to fall during it for like, but it's not a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, shop around the corner. It's the holiday shopping season at the store, and um, and so they're going through all this stuff, and they also decide, you know, since it's around Christmas, the pen pals they decide to meet each other and. Hilarity ensues, and, well, if you've seen You've Got Mail, you can kind of guess what happens. Anyway. But there's also some, there also are a few subplots about the other staff of the store and things like that, but it, I, it's just a simple little movie. It's not a big-budget Hollywood-looking movie. It's just, right. So, um, and it actually comes on Turner Classic Movies tomorrow night if anybody wants to see it. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Um, my movie the month of December, and I'm going I'm to do a little bit of a cheap plug, but I did watch this movie again today, had to record earlier today. Uh, th- it won't be up for a couple of weeks, so you guys won't have to worry about it. Um, I'm going to go with South Park the movie, bigger, longer, and uncut. Um, yes, this is an R-rated film, and kids should not watch this until they're at least 18, but... 
I just enjoyed the movie. It is so good. Um, it's basically a story of fighting censorship. And the songs are just so catchy. They're so great. And it's got a good plot, a good story. And yeah, there are times where it gets very inappropriate. But what do you expect? It's South Park. So, you know, what, what, what else are you expecting from them, in a way? Um, it's just done very well. I enjoyed the movie. Every, every time I watch it, I enjoy the movie. Um, it, it's one of those movies that if you are... If you get easily offended, don't watch it. But unless you are a fan of South Park, which you probably will like... If you're not and you have a weird kind of humor, this is a movie for you. And, you know, you got George Clooney who makes a guest appearance in it. Uh, Manny Driver has a brief cameo. There, there are some famous people who have brief cameos in this movie that some people do not know. So, so check it out if you can. Alright, so... We go from our movie to our album of the month, and I will start the, uh, for the album of the month. And I am going to pick a, one, of our, or one of the artists that recently got inducted or was announced into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And that is Pearl Jam. And the album that I'm going to select is their debut album, Ten. Uh, this album was released in 1991. This was right into the time of that whole grunge scene with Nirvana and Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and all of them. But this album, 25 years later, has, you know, stood the test of time. There's so many good songs on here. Even Flow, Alive, Jeremy, which everyone, I think, knows about the song Jeremy. But there are other very good songs on this album too. Black is a good song. Oceans is a good song. Um, why go is a you know why go why go on why go on? that that's a good song. There's just really good stuff in this entire album, and you know these would be the guys who at the end would withstand. You know the test. They they're the last. If you think about it, they're sort of the last band standing from that whole group of you know from the grunge scene, and you know they they've transcended music and they've obviously changed and they've gotten bigger and bigger, and they're still going on, and it's just a really good album which I recommend everyone to. Get if you you know if you if you like the physical copy or if you want to get it uh, digitally, go check this album out. Okay, um, my pick is what has now is as of now the lost the most recent album that Carol King has done. Um, and it's called, get to go Christmas theme, <laughs> it's called A Holiday Carol. <laughs> and um, 
was only about five years old, and I just discovered this. I was, I, I'm actually going to post about this in Brian's music group, the Beat Goes right. On, which I keep getting notifications for, but I don't post in. Right. Because it, it's more suited for that group. But um, one of my favorite songs, Christmas songs, is Last Christmas. And I have, like, at least six versions of it on my iPod. Yeah, so I'm going to post all the versions I have. (laughs) Okay, that would be a great, not to interrupt you, but that would be a great discussion for next month's show. How many versions of Last Christmas? No, what's the best version of Last Christmas? Well, yeah, we can discuss it, but yeah, I'm going to post... And don't worry, I'm going to post it all in one thread because I know they have an issue with people making multiple posts in there. I'm going to just put it all in all in the comments in one thread so it doesn't flood up the board. But um, anyway, so so um, but so I love the song Last Christmas, and so many people have covered it. And I'm always looking on iTunes for versions of Last Christmas um, to put on my iPod for Christmas. And one of the best ones I heard was by Carol King. Mm-hmm. Like I had no idea Carol King did a Christmas album or let alone sang the song. But she did and it was so good. And I discovered the rest of the album. And she has this other song that I listened to called Christmas in the Air, a really upbeat song that was actually written by her daughter Louise. Mm-hmm. And um Louise Geffen is Jerry Geffen and Carol King's daughter um I don't know how many people are Carol King fans, but Louise sang backup vocals on her mother's um, very famous uh, tap. I think it was, yeah, tapestry. Um, not, yeah, maybe it's tapestry. Um, oh no, Wrap Joy. Yeah, Wrap Around Joy album when she was only 14 years old. Hmm. Which is really impressive, I think. So um, she's very, very talented, and um, so. But yeah, it's just your standard, you know, Christmas album. Um, you know, it has songs like "Sleigh Ride" and "Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas." But Carol King just has such a lovely voice. She does. That you know, you have to. That's just. It, it, she just kind of breathes life into some of these songs that you probably hear every year, and um, and um, so yeah, it's called a holiday carol, and the, her version of Last Christmas is on deluxe version, not the original, so you right. get the deluxe to get Last Christmas. But, yeah. Right. Okay. Um. So yeah, there you go. Um. I don't. I think there's anything else to mention, uh, unless I'm. I don't. I don't think there is. I, well, there is, but since we did all. Oh no! Picks, no! No! We could still. We could still do it. What? What do you have? Well, I mean, because isn't that how we end the show when we do the picks? We then... we do, but you know what? It's the last show of 2016, so we're gonna break the rule today. Okay. All right. Well. I was going to mention, and I actually did this right before the show so I could talk about it. Um, Bill was talking about how they just did the, uh, what was it, Um, the Legends of the Hidden Temple movie. Well, I just watched Double Day Reunion, Mm -hmm. which they did um, in November, 
um, night before Thanksgiving. I had the DVR. But Me too. I haven't watched it yet, though. It, it's okay. Um, it, it's weird. I really think that they should have done a more, like you said, an hour long. I do like that they had a few clip shows, and I do like that Harvey and Robin came back, and that, you know, Mark, and that they did an actual mock game. They play a game at a, um, they, they set it up at a nightclub with the, with some of the games and the physical challenges and got the cast of all that to mm-hmm. play, and it, I mean, it's, it's nice, and, and they play the game a little differently, but, um, I don't know, it's just, um, and, and I'm glad they got, you know, all that cast and mostly audience or kids or adults, you know, grew up on the show. And But then they had to squeeze in a few current Nickelodeon celebrities to keep, so that the, the kids watching would be like, right. oh, okay, why am I watching this? But what made it sad, though, is to me, is that nobody... Um, nobody on, um, there's nowhere you can watch Double Bear reruns. Like, if Nickelodeon were still airing them or, um, one of their offshoot cable channels, Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think Team Nick occasionally airs them, but not, you know, on a regular basis, then, you know, there'd be more of an interest in a reunion, which I, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Because then kids will be like, oh, well, there's somewhere I can watch this, you know, because otherwise they wouldn't really know what this show is or yeah. where it came from. I mean, you can find it on YouTube, too. But, I mean, it's – so it's kind of weird to do, like, a whole thing mm-hmm. and you can't really see it or get it, you know, that – and I'm sure kids now who aren't used to shows like that probably wouldn't even understand. I feel like there's more they could have gone into to explain it more. Because basically, even though they had younger celebrities there, the reunion was more or less for people who grew up with it. Um, so I'm sure somebody new will be like, well, what's the point of this show? Why are these kids just throwing stuff and <laughs> getting stuff dumped on their heads? Right. But I did like the clip shows. I did like how they do. They even showed a montage of the various prizes they gave away over the years and how dated some of them were, like the new VCR. And um, so I, I, I liked that. What I didn't like, though, is now they have, um, when they do the obstacles they had to condense them a little to set them up at a nightclub because they yeah. had space and then they but, had to and now they have they have instant replay footage which hmm. well like, i mean for the purpose of what it was i was okay with the instant replay yeah like where harvey's like well this is what just happened and i'm like i just watched it <laughs> so, why are you okay um so i mean it was nice and I'm I'm glad they all got together to um and they even did a little clip show how Mark and Harvey have been friends all this time and I think that's great too. Yeah. But but like I always say, Mark Summers deserves an Emmy because the man had O C D and I mean serious O C D to the point where th- there's a video if you watch him line up fringe on a rug 
It is about the most. And year after year, he had messy people hug him, and and he had no problem. Exactly. That. And he has no problem with people, um, with people, you know, coming up to him saying, "Oh yes, he loved Double Dare," or talking about it, even though he does other stuff now. One of the he things just, that we talked about earlier is yeah. appreciating your past. You appreciate your past. Amy, he still does. He does stuff for the Food Network, and he does stuff, you know, other things. But no, and he um, also. Every year at, um, I think it, I want to say Penn State, or, uh, oh, yes. Yeah, you told me about it. It's like in Philadelphia? Yeah, Philadelphia, they host, he hosts Drunken Double Dare. And, um, so, I, um. That's one of the greatest ideas ever. Yeah. We need to go to that. Yeah, so, um. You know what, I'm going to look up. Right now, when they have it. Yeah. Uh, drunk. What was it called? Drunken Double Dare. Drunken Double Dare. Alright. Or Drunk Double Dare. Okay. Looks like it's in April, because this year was in April. So. Yeah. Yep. Or no, it's in June. Oh, okay, so maybe if we get a group together, we could all go next to year to Drunk Double Dare. <laughs> yep. Let's do it. Do not try this at home. Yep. <sighs> and, and the sad thing is, he um he went public with his um OCD and he at that time he was being considered to host Hollywood Squares and when he did that they replaced him. So think of although to be fair Tom Bergeron did do a good job but think of Hollywood Squares with Mark Summers wow. instead of Tom Bergeron. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it. Uh, If you guys want to join our Facebook group, it's real simple. All you got to do is type in Nostalgia Crew in the search bar, and you are right there. Or you can click on the link in the description box. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter. We are at Nostalgia Crew 15. So the next time Danielle and I will be on, it'll be a new year. It'll be 2017, and we will discuss which version of Last Christmas is the best. (laughs) And I will post all the ones that I have on my iPod in one thread, and as the beat goes on, so go on ahead, go in there, and see which one you like best. And also, next month, will be the first annual Future of Nostalgia Award where Danielle and I will each pick one thing that we believe will represent or represents the future of nostalgia, and it will be something that people will talk about many, many years down the line. Mm. And who knows what else next month. It's going to be jam-packed. Well, well, yeah, there could be something interesting. Yeah. 
Yep, exactly. So, until next year, for Danielle, I'm Bill. You guys have been listening to Nostalgia Crew. Have a safe holiday season, and we'll talk to you all in 2017.